approach the throne of grace in prayer. Father, we first thank you this morning for uh, this day that you have made. We are to rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation that is offered to all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All who turn to him, he will not turn away. Lord, we thank you that you have created us in your image. We thank you, Lord, that you made us, you formed us in our mother's womb. Before the world was even founded, Lord, you knew us, and we thank you for this reality. The psalmist David said, as we just read, that he will bless your name forever and ever. Every day he will bless you, and he will praise your name. Because, Lord, you are great, and you are greatly to be praised and Lord, we praise you this morning for you are great. You are the great God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, my prayer this morning as I pray to the great God is how can we who are both sinners, who are born sinners, who could do nothing to please you, Lord, how can we seek glory, honor, and immortality in ourselves. Lord, how can we dare seek greatness in ourselves instead of looking out and up to you? Lord, how can we be delivered from selfish ambition and disobedience to your truth? Lord, how can we escape your just wrath and your judgment? How can we affirm the pure righteousness of your law? which expresses your holy nature. Lord, we know what is right and what is wrong. And yet more often than not, we find ourselves in the wrong and unable to do right. But Lord, we're not left hopeless. We're thankful for Christ's work and for your spirit enabling us to put our trust in Jesus as Lord. Lord, in the moment when we first believed, you granted us a new life, a new heart, and new holy affections. And Lord, since we're regenerated, we now have, by your grace, a new capacity to do what is good, honorable, and righteous. Because, Lord, we cannot possibly do right apart from salvation in you. We can't possibly live right, Lord, apart from being regenerated, from being renewed in our hearts. Lord, it is only through salvation in you that we are given new affections, that we are given new natures. Lord, we praise you that in Christ we have been made capable of pleasing you. And what better way, Lord, to thank you than with humility and to always remember that the will and power to do right only comes from you. Lord, we cannot live a righteous life by, by willpower, by willing ourselves to live right. Because, Lord, we are mortal, we are flesh, we're like grass, 
our lives are transient. So Lord, I ask you as the immortal God, the invisible God, the all-wise and all-knowing, the all-seeing, most glorious God. Lord, you have sovereignly enabled us to know the truth, to love the truth, to live the truth, and to proclaim the truth, and to worship you in spirit and in truth. But Lord, as we face the reality of our daily lives, we know that sin still exists within us and will seek to subdue us until we reach the heavenly glory. Lord, may we faithfully follow the humble example of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we love him sincerely. May we glory in his cross. May we pursue what is holy and get rid of all that is shameful and wicked. Lord, give us courage and boldness combined with graciousness to confess Christ before lost men and women, our neighbors, co-workers, friends, and even our adversaries. Lord, help us to live lives that are holy and righteous before this insane world in which we live. Lord, our world needs examples, godly examples of what it means to live holy and righteous and, and the positive in implications of that reality. Well, help us to not run away from being holy or be afraid of that word. But Lord, strive for holiness, strive for righteousness, strive to do what is good in your sight and what is pleasing in your eyes. Father, give us strength to do this, to fulfill this. And Lord, as I preach this morning, fill me with your spirit to preach this text where there's so much packed one verse that you have chosen us in you before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before you in love. Lord, be with me as I preach this morning and be with us. Send your spirit, Lord, to illuminate the truth to us this morning. And Lord, I pray for our brethren at our other like-minded churches, ABC, Grace Fellowship, Mountain View Church, Redeemer, Christian Fellowship, and other churches, Lord, like ours that are sound biblical churches Lord that you help us as men to preach the full counsel of the Lord Lord may you show your mercy and faithfulness to our churches by strengthening our faith by filling our membership with unity and love by enabling our congregation to fight the battles of, of the Lord with prayer endurance and bold witness and gospel obedience Lord, we pray that you are faithful to hear my prayer this morning and answer it according to your good, sovereign, and perfect will. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Man, we're in our second sermon in Ephesians, and today we just concern ourselves with one verse, and that is verse 4. Last week we looked at the introduction, verses 1 through 3. And this morning, we're going to look at verse 4. 
And I want to look at um, two translations of this verse, one the ESV and the other the New King James uh, Version as we read the text. But our topic this morning is the goal of the Christian life is holiness. The goal of the Christian life is holiness. So this is verse four from the ESV. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Uh, the New King James says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and without blame before him in love. As we preach this morning, our main thrust is that we should be holy and blameless without blame before him. But I want to begin by just talking just for a little bit about the word holiness and what it means. But looking at the text here, the context, the primary reason that God is blessed as we look at the verse before, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We we talked about this last week that we give all praise to God for what he has done in, in calling us to be saints and the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the primary reason that God is blessed and we're called to bless God is because God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him in love. And that's what we see here. And this is a reminder of Deuteronomy, the seventh chapter, uh, verses six through eight. And this is what Deuteronomy seven, six through eight says. God says through Moses to his people, you are a people. Holy to the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God has chosen you out of all the people's on earth to be his people his treasured possession it was not because you were more numerous than the other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers or to your ancestors so this language that Paul is using in verse 4 harkens back to God's language to why he chose Israel the, the doctrine of election God chose Israel because he chose Israel. It, was, it wasn't because of anything special about them. And the same goes for us. So like this text, it appears that Paul is telling or reminding the Ephesians that through Christ, they have become participants in God's election of Israel. When God chose Abraham out of all people, God chose Abraham in Genesis 12 out of all the people in the world at that time. He chose Abraham as it is chronicled in Genesis, the 12th chapter and made a covenant with him. And one of the reasons for God's call of Abraham and the establishment of a covenant was because of his love. So because of what God did with Israel, all the nations ought to be drawn to God. And so now we see that in this chapter and in this verse 
So we see God's choosing of a people. He chose Israel and he chose the saints. And there's a purpose for his choosing. Now, what is holiness? A good definition, I think, uh, J.C. Ryle, who was a 19th century uh, Anglican bishop, very solid man. He wrote this book called Holiness, by the way. And this is what he says uh, about holiness. He says, holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God. According as we find his mind described in scripture. It is the habit of agreeing with God in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. He who most entirely agrees with God, he is the most holy man. So in a nutshell, uh, J.C. Ryle is saying, that to be holy means to be in agreement with God. And why is that important? Because God himself is holy. God told Israel that he is holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. We're going to look at this, look at that text later on in the passage. But God himself is holy. God is the embodiment of holiness. God is the embodiment of righteousness because he is righteousness. He is holiness. Those are some of his attributes. But and I'm sorry. And also God is our standard of holiness. Whatever God hates. Guess what? We should hate. Whatever God loves. We should love. Whatever God judges. We should judge. And as J.C. Ryle said. We measure everything in this world. By the standard of God's word. For holiness to reign, we must have the standard of God's word. Why? Because it's the word of God. It is the only source of divine truth. So a life of holiness is one that is in agreement with God. And that's what holiness looks like. So we're going to look at this passage this morning. The big idea is basically that God blessed us to make us holy. He predestined us to live holy and blameless before him. That's why God chose us. He didn't choose us just for the sake of bragging that we're chosen by God. But he had a divine purpose. And that is that we should be holy and blameless before him. So we're going to look at two principles uh, this morning. The first one is our spiritual blessings proceed from God alone. Looking at the first part of verse 4. He chose us in him God has chosen us our spiritual blessings are in conformity with the fact that God chose us in him that is the fact the big words that you should pay attention to is that he chose us not that we chose him we didn't choose God God chose us this is a statement. This is not speculation. That is a definite statement. God chose us. Now, as far as the doctrine of election, there are two views of election. The first view is that 
God chose us, then we believed. The second view is that God saw that we would believe, and then he chose us. Now, there are two reasons why view A is correct. Number one, because the Greek word for elect means basically to pick out for oneself or to choose or select. I remember, um, you know, growing up um, in my neighborhood when kids actually played outside, you know, and uh, we would play pickup basketball, you know, and whoever's yard we played in, a lot of people had basketball goals in their yards, uh, you know, back then. We even had one in our backyard. We didn't have a full court. We just had grass and dirt. <laughs> and uh, and we had a goal with a pole in the ground, you know, cement and all that stuff. But who, who's ever house you played over? They had the uh, choice of picking who they wanted on their, their team, and they would pick like somebody else. I was always one of the last people picked because I wasn't that good in basketball. But those two captains, they chose who they wanted to be on their team. But they did that because they had prior knowledge of, you know, how good their skills were. They knew that Flip couldn't play basketball, so that's why Flip got picked last. Okay, that was my hometown nickname, Flip. Okay? So they saw that I was a good player, so they chose me. That's akin to the second view of election, that God somehow looked down in time and knew that we would choose him, so he chose us. But that's not the correct view of election. The correct view is that God picked us out for himself. He chose us and he selected us. And we know that because it said that he chose us when? Before the foundation of the world. This statement designates not only time, but it indicates the decision of election was made before anything else. Before God even created the heavens and the earth. He chose us to salvation. Before the foundations of the world. Before Genesis 1 and 1. You know God is eternal. He's always existed. There was never a time when God was not. But in eternity past. God chose us. That blows my mind when I think about it. It originated in the eternal counsels. Of God's will. We can't explain why God chose us as Dr. R.C. Sproul, uh, one of his favorite phrases that I like uh, that he said, uh, you know, someone asked, why did God choose us? And he says, because he chose us. <laughs> you know, we we can't give a reason for why God chose us because he chose us before the foundation of the world, not just before we were born, not before our mama met our daddy. He chose us before he even created the world. So it was his divine sovereign decree. And what this fact should do is promote humility in the believer. It is not a reason for boasting or, or arrogance that God chose us. It should be a point of humility like, Lord, you didn't have to choose me, but you did. It should spark humility in us 
that God chose of you. If you're a believer listening to this, it should humble you. It should humble me that God chose me. Because it was nothing in me, inherent in me. Just like Israel, God chose Israel out of all the nations in the world. Israel was not the biggest nation. They were not the mightiest nation. But God set his eyes upon them as we read in Deuteronomy the seventh chapter as his treasure possession. He said they were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved them. That's why he chose them. And that's why God chooses us. So the first blessing that Paul enumerates in this passage is the fact that we are God's holy people. God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be his special people. And to be set apart for him. Remember, that's what we are as saints, right? So this is the reason that we praise God. He blessed us in choosing us before the foundation of the world was even created. We bless him because of that. We praise God because he chose us before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created. It was an eternal choice. And that is a source of great blessing for us that God chose us. It's great to be chosen. It is great to be chosen. I think about it in the context of being chosen for something special like an award that you didn't deserve and you know you didn't deserve. But you receive an award anyway, right? It feels so special. I mean, you know you worked hard and everything, but you think that someone else is more deserving. But man, how special does it feel to know that you were chosen for that? And you thank that person. Thank you so much. I didn't deserve this, but I thank you for choosing me. And that is what we do with God. Now, that choice wasn't based on Israel's worthiness, as we talked about, or their strength or their place among the other nations. But it was entirely on God's love for them. And throughout Ephesians, we see the same thing about God's divine love and not human worth. God's mercy and grace, his electing mercy and grace is unmerited. It is unearned. We're used to earning things. We live in a merit-based society. Well, at least we used to. Where you have to earn your way. You have to work hard. You have to put in the work. But with God, he doesn't do that. His grace and mercy in choosing us is unmerited and undeserved. It is not because of anything that we've done. It is by grace. It is not by works. And that is the great thing about God choosing us. And note that in this passage, Paul said, even he chose us in him. This is centering the in Christ and in him. Remember I read all those verses last week, verses 3 through 15, in him, in Christ. This is one of those verses. God chose us in Christ. This means that every part of our salvation, including our election, is made possible by and it takes place in Christ. This is why we worship the Lord Christ because everything that we have everything that we receive comes from him and it is because of him and all glory is due to 
Christ. Because in him are we called. In him. God had plans for each one of us from the beginning. That's why I said last week. Every baby that's conceived. A week before last actually. Every baby that's conceived. God has plans for that baby. From the beginning. And when the time you come out your mother's womb. Young man. Young woman. Adult male. Adult female. Every, every person that comes out of the womb. God has plans for you. He has plans for you. He has a purpose for you. And what is that purpose? To be in him. To bring glory to him and to him alone. So Paul talks about in him. That is what he is speaking of. God chose us in him. Now, God's choosing is both individual and corporate. Our union with Christ and also membership in his body, which is the corporate dimension. So uh, the first aspect is God chose us in Christ, in union with Christ. That's the individual dimension. And then also in Christ is being part of his body, which is the church. Each of us have been chosen from eternity past to be part of Christ's messianic community. This is why when people say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. You're not a Christian. Because to be a Christian means to be in Christ. Not just in Christ as an individual or as a lone ranger. No, you ought to be in Christ also in a corporate community of believers. So this election has a corporate and individual aspect to it. We're chosen to be part of the community of believers, part of God's kingdom. You can't have a kingdom with one person in it. <laughs> okay? That's not a kingdom. A kingdom has a king, and a king has subjects. Subjects of those who are under him in his kingdom. You can't be a kingdom unto yourself. That is not what election is all about. Each of us has been chosen to be part of God's kingdom. We're chosen by the pre-existent God to be with each other as members of this church community. I'm talking about the local church and the universal church. All of us together, all believers together. We are all chosen to be part of of the body of Christ. That's why the local church is very important. That's why the Bible tells us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. I think that's Hebrews 10 and 26. We're not to forsake the assembling of the saints. Why? Because we belong to a community. We are elected into a community. Not just some individuals out there. Before the foundation of the world. Matthew Henry said. We have here the date of this act of love. 
He was before the foundation of the world. Not only before God's people had a being, but before the world had a beginning. For they were chosen in the counsel of God from all eternity. It magnifies these blessings to a high degree that they are the products of eternal counsel. In other words, we're not just cosmic accidents. We're not just bags of fizzing chemicals. We were chosen by God through his eternal counsel. Through all of eternity, God chose us to be in him. That is such a great blessing for the believers. So that's why we know that they come from God alone, because he chose us. We le- which leads to our second principle in the rest of this verse. That because of these spiritual blessings, they should produce a godly life. So Paul says here, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should what be holy and blameless or without blame. Martin Lord Jones, the great British preacher of the 20th century, said this. He says, God has not chosen us before the foundation of the world in order to create for us the possibility of holiness. He chose, he has chosen us to holiness. He continues. It is what he has purposed for us, not possibility, but realization. I therefore make this solemn assertion that those who do not appreciate this truth and show some signs of holiness in their lives are not chosen, are not Christian. Being chosen and being holy are inseparable. That was Martin Lord Jones. Remember, God's choosing has a purpose. He didn't choose us just for the sake of choosing us. He chose us for a purpose, and that was that we should be what? Holy. The purpose of our election is to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's the purpose. God, I mean, Paul already called them the saints in verse 1. And now they're called to live up to that name. We're saints. We're called to be holy. I'm going to dig into holiness just a little bit. But first, the Christian life contains the privilege, which is the gift of salvation, and also the responsibility which is the demand to live God's way. We're privileged to be saints. We're privileged to be chosen. We're privileged to be among the faithful. But with that privilege comes great what? Responsibility. There's great responsibility to privilege. Think about a child who is, a, uh, who is an heir to a large estate. We have parents that are very rich. You see stories all the time about children of privilege or, you know, they have rich parents and, and the parents die and leave all the inheritance to the children. And what do the children do sometimes? They squander it. They get on drugs. They have 50 marriages and, and get into all types of debauchery. Why? Because with privilege comes great responsibility. It does. It exposes you 
to who you really are. And a lot of people can't handle that privilege. Because they don't understand the responsibility that comes with that privilege. So the fact that we're saints, which we are, God chose us. We're saints with the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. God chose us. He elected us to salvation. Now, what responsibility do we have to be holy? Now, holy doesn't mean perfect. Doesn't mean that. Because we have the remnants of sin in us. We're not going to be perfect. But we're still called to be what? Holy. We're to pursue it. The Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no one shall see the Lord. That's in the book of Hebrews. We're to follow after holiness. We're to pursue a holy life. Pursue endeavors that comport to holiness, that translate to what holiness means. So we have the privilege, the gift of salvation, and the responsibility. And this is reflected in the holiness code in Leviticus uh, 17 through 26. And the central theme in the holiness code these are all the different holiness laws that God gave to Israel in Leviticus 17 through 26. In that, Leviticus 11 to 44, God says, be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19 and 2, God says the same thing. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He says it in Leviticus 20 and 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. In Leviticus 20 and 26. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the people that you should be mine. That's separating, being a saint, being sanctified, being set apart. That's what holiness looks like. We're not like the world. We don't have the same affections and desires that those in the world do. We don't have the same um, mindset that the world does. We don't have the same habits that the world does. Why? Because we're, we're, we're called to be holy. We're called to be separate. In 1 Peter 1 and 16, Peter says the same thing. This is what 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 13 in context. Peter said, therefore, talking to saints, gird up the loins of your mind. It means you're thinking. Have right thinking. He says, be sober. It means be, be clear-minded, alert. He says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former desires as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God called us to be holy because he is holy. The great Bishop Augustine who lived in the 6th century he said, Lord, he said, give what you command. 
He told God, give what you command, but give me the power to obey your command. God calls us to be holy. And guess what? He helps us to do that by the power of the spirit and his sovereign election. God will see to it. So we see scriptures. We see the scripture telling us to be holy. God calls us to that. Now, holy implies a relationship with God, which is expressed not through rituals like the holiness church, you know, wearing dresses and all that stuff. That's not the, those are not the marks of holiness. It's through the fact that we're being led by the spirit. It's through the fact that God has called us and has elected us. Holiness has nothing to do with the name on your church and how you dress. But if you are pursuing holiness, then guess what you are going to do? You're going to watch how you dress. We don't need to make a law where there is no law. But if you are a believer and you are holy, guess what? It's going to show in how you present yourself to the world. And it means that you have to walk around wearing uh, street sweepers, as we used to call them, long dresses all the way down. It's all you see is the top of your shoes. And they wear tennis shoes. You know, th th that's, you know, no, it, it doesn't have to be that. Where you don't cut your hair and you can't wear makeup and can't wear jewelry and don't go to the movies, don't go to uh, restaurants that have bars in them and and you know all, all, all that stuff adding the law where there is no law that doesn't make you holy now if you by conscience want to do that then that's fine because the Bible tells us not to sin against our conscience I have a relative who doesn't go to the movies that's fine I'm not man he must be he, it's his conscience that's fine but you don't impose it on anybody else but the point is, if you as a Christian, you're called out by God, you are elect, you're called to be holy. It is going to be reflected in how we live. It's going to be reflected in how we talk, our conversations. Again, we're not going to do it perfectly. We're sinners saved by grace through faith. But it is not going to be the natural tendency or the natural proclivity toward sin. We're not going to enjoy sin. We're not going to participate in sinful activities. If I see something going on that's egregious, I'm gone. I don't, they can call me a square or whatever, I don't care. I don't want to be around it. If I'm at a, which I wouldn't do, but if, if I happen to be at a, uh, like, you know, I'm going to someone's house to watch Super Bowl tonight and, and if, uh, you know, they know I don't drink, but, you know, somebody's there and they're, they're drinking, lick it up, as we used to say, <laughs> you know, and get a little too inebriated and, and whatever. I'm gone. I don't want to be around that foolishness. That's just me personally. Because to me personally, I don't, as, as a person who's pursuing holiness, I don't want to be around uh, outward uh, unholy behavior. And as believers, we ought to think like that. We should pursue things that please God. And one question I, I had a preacher to, to tell me this question that we, we can ask ourselves sometimes. 
because we have to be conscious of it. How is what I'm doing bringing glory to God? That's a good question to ask. You want to know if what you're doing is holy or not holy? Ask yourself, how is this bringing glory to God? Or is this bringing glory to God? Bringing glory means making God's name glorious and, and majestic. Is this God glorifying that I'm doing? Is this thinking God glorifying? Are these words that I'm saying God glorifying? And the spirit of the Lord who lives in us, guess what? He leads us to think that way because God chose us in him. And this leads to the second part of this verse. Without blame, blameless. That we should be holy and blameless or without blemish and this this without blame or uh, without blemish is a is a technical term it's basically describing the absence of anything that is wrong with a sacrifice and it points back to uh, the old testament the old covenant where the sacrifices that were brought to God had to be without blemish some scriptures include uh, Exodus 29 and two, that the bread had to be unleavened. That means it had to be without uh, blemish. Numbers uh, 6 and 14. About presenting an offer to the Lord, a male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering. So when it says here blameless without blemish it is hearkening back to the Old Testament so God's goal is that we ought to be holy and without blemish but without blemish also means free from accusation that means our lives as believers should be above reproach in other words when our name comes up in someone's mind what are they going to say about our character? I can't stand. They're so mean and hateful and they don't ever have anything good to say. Y'all know people like that when you hear their name? That's the first thing that comes to your mind. I, I can't stand. I don't like being around them. They, you, know, you don't want that kind of reputation. That's not a blameless. Again, that mean perfect, but but people who know you, they, they know the tenor of your life. They know how you are as a person. And your reputation is going to speak for itself. Your name is going to speak for itself. So to be blameless means to be free from accusation. Children, I tell you this now. Your reputation matters. It matters. It does. You don't want to be known as that kid, you know, 20 years from now, you graduate from high school, and everybody brings up an incident about you, and you just kind of shrink back in shame. Because I've seen it happen. You don't want to have a bad reputation. You want, you want to be blameless. It is, it is good to have a good reputation, uh, young people, on, on both sides here, listening to me. 
you want to have a good reputation before man and also before God. You want to be free from accusation. You don't want any uh, false or true accusations to come out with your name attached to it. You don't want that. That's not good because you'll spend the rest of your life trying to overcome that. Sometimes they can cost you jobs, careers, a good relationship. And as believers, the same way, we ought to be without accusation. No one should rightfully, now somebody may do it wrongfully, but no one should rightfully accuse, lay an accusation against a believer unless it's not true. No one should lay an accusation against a believer that we are ungodly. That we're hypocrites. Now they may say hypocrites because they just don't like you, period, but no one should be able to have any credible evidence that we're hypocrites. That we're one way in church and one way, another way outside of church. We're one way at church and another way on our jobs. We're one way at church and another way with our friends and you know, when we, quote, let our hair down. There should be a consistency to our walk with the Lord. That's how a holy life looks. It's, it's consistent. Again, we're going to sin. We, we, we repent. We ask the Lord for uh, forgiveness. If we sin against someone, we do what? Ask for their forgiveness. That's what a holy life looks like. And that keeps us blameless. Yeah, they did me wrong, but they apologized. Yeah, they did me wrong, but they came and made it right. They pursued reconciliation. That is what a blameless life looks like. And that is what God has called us to. And this is part of the sanctification process. Those of us who belong to God are mandated to live lives of holiness. Paul talks about the carnal Christian, which is no such thing, but Paul talks about the carnal Christian in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, For there are, he says, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal? Carnal means worldly. And believe and behaving like mere men. When you say mere men, he's talking about like unbelievers, like the pagans. When there's division and confusion in the church or among believers, that's carnal. That's worldly minded. That's earthly mindedness. It is a person who is pursuing material or worldly things and not the things of God. Their first concern is for worldly things. Their first concern is for material things, the things of this world, and not concerned about the things of God and living a holy life. You want to do a test today? How many uh, put out a, a TikTok video about living a holy life and see if it goes viral? Probably won't get anybody to watch it. Put an Instagram or Facebook post about being holy and see how many likes you get. Probably not a lot. You know why? Our world is not concerned with that. Our world is concerned with being unholy. Wasn't it the name of the song at the Grammys that Sam Smith and um, the other guy that thinks he's a woman performed? I think it was called Unholy, where he was dressed in, you know, that it was basically Satan worship. And the name of the song was Unholy. 
the, the world is proud to be unholy. The world doesn't care about modesty. The world flaunts immodesty. Immodesty is everywhere in our world, especially on social media. You can't go through reels on Facebook, Instagram without seeing twerking. That's all you see. Why? Because our world doesn't want holiness. The world says, no, the way forward is unholiness, unrighteousness, godlessness. But you know what all, all that leads to? It leads to misery. J.C. Ryle said, the happiest people are the holiest people. You know why? Because our God is holy. Holiness leads to a happy life. Don't believe the lie of the world that unholiness leads to happiness. It doesn't, friends. Look at where we are in our world now. Look at how many miserable people there are in this world. Perhaps people that you know. Why? Because they're living unholy lives. It does not bring happiness. Don't believe that lie, young people. Don't believe that lie, adults. Unholiness leads to misery. It is not freedom to be unholy. It is bondage because you're in bondage to your own sins. You're in bondage to your own sinful desires. It is unacceptable in our culture to pursue holiness. They call you a prude. Well, that's what we used to call each other back in the day. Or a square. Call me a square. I'm fine. But I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to live holy for God. Lord, set my eyes on holy things, not those things that are unholy. I'm sure all of us in here, if we had uh, a truth serum given to us, we would confess that we lay our eyes on things that are unholy sometimes. Sometimes you do it by accident. You're scrolling through. You see, you, you know, you gaze at it for a couple of seconds and then move on. It's so easy because guess what? It's, it's so much. We're just surrounded with unholiness. We're surrounded with unrighteousness. So we have to be deliberate in saying, Lord, set my eyes on things that are holy. Set my mind on things that are holy. Set my heart on things that are holy because you chose me in you to be holy and blameless. That's what we have to pray to the Lord because we're in a spiritual warfare. Every single day, our enemy assaults us. He assaults our eyes every day with unholiness. Sometimes we dive headlong into it. And sometimes we do it by mistake. But guess what? It's still there. Can we just admit that? Because it is. It's there. We're assaulted by it every day. Our senses, our eyes, our ears, our eye gate, our ear gate, our minds, we are assaulted every single day on television on our phones tablets whatever form of media we use in the music we listen to we're assaulted with unholiness so in the culture in which we live 
God called us to produce a holy life because he chose us. It is something we have to pursue. We have to pursue it. We have to search for it. And that's how we fulfill that mandate. Amen? That is how holiness looks. It's not going to happen by osmosis. We have to pursue it. We teach our children. I teach my boys all the time. Look, don't. First of all, don't go out and do something stupid. Because it's going to reflect on your parents. And it's going to reflect on you. It just is. That's the way the world works, right? Fair or not. Being blameless. I tell my boys, when, when you hear your mom or dad's name in Cowan County Schools and City Schools, you're going to hear a number of good things. Because that's those are the kind of people that we are. People, you know, sometimes people do something, you're like, that's not that's not the person I know. I, I, I no. Uh, no, they no, not them. Why? Because they've had a blameless reputation. For all of us as believers, that is how people should now we don't worry about what people think about us, but the point is we should live those type of lives because we're concerned about how God sees us. So he says he called us to be holy and blameless before him in love. In love is the quality to our holiness and our blamelessness. The purpose that God chose us in him is to be marked by holiness and blamelessness in love. We do our holiness in love and we're blameless in love. It is a life before God that is lived holy and blameless. And we do that in love. We live a life of holiness in love. In love to God and devotion to God. And also in love to our fellow man. That is how it looks. Because there are not good consequences if we don't pursue that holy life. Amen. Let's look at our applications here. I got three questions that I mulled over and thought about. Something to get us to thinking. So the first question is kind of a long one, but just something to think about. How does the first, how does the fact rather that we were chosen by God before the foundation of the world help deliver you or deliver us rather from a works-oriented, legalistic approach to our Christian walk. I thought about this question when I thought about, you know, I told y'all before I was, I was part of a holiness church for 20 years, and it was very legalistic. And that question that I asked makes me think about the fact that in the holiness churches or churches like that, your holiness was had to be proven by your holiness, your acts of holiness. You know, the more you dress like a holiness person, the more you abstain from certain things like a holiness person, then the more holy you were. You know, you were most holy if you didn't go to movies. The ladies were most holy if they wore the long dresses, not just the ones that go down below their knees. 
you know, the ones that wore the dresses that sweep, sweep the uh, floor, they were like most holy. And had the long hair down their back and then cut it. Oh, they were exceptionally holy. And especially they had their daughters walking behind them like little ducklings with the dresses too. Then they were a holy family. But knowing that you were chosen before the foundation of the world frees you from that because you know that you were chosen and made holy by who? By God, not by doing some type of works. See the difference there? We're holy because God chose us to be holy. Not We don't become holy by doing things in order to be holy. We do those things because we're holy, not in order to be holy. So knowing that we were chosen before the foundation of the world should deliver us from a works-based holiness. We're holy to do those good works, not in order to be holy. What type of confidence and freedom and security can we draw from the fact that God predestined goal for us is that we be holy and blameless in his eyes. The confidence and freedom and security, those three things, we draw from the fact that God chose us to be holy. The confidence that we have and the freedom that we have and the security that we have is this. If God chose us to be a holy, guess what? He's going to see to it. He's going to see to it. Whatever God works in us is worked out of us. Because God chose us to that. Whatever God chooses us to, people, don't you know he's going to make sure that we fulfill that? He chose us in him to be holy, so God is going to see to it that we be what? Holy and blameless. God doesn't just choose us to something and say, okay, you're on your own. You know, go out there and make it happen. Go out there and wear the dresses and don't go to this and don't do that and don't look at this. No, God is going to see to it. He works in us his salvation and it works out of us. He's going to see to it. Uh, Paul said, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the coming of Christ. God began that work of salvation in us by choosing us. Guess what? He's going to see us to the end. He's going to see it work out in us and through us for his glory. That's the confidence that's the freedom and that's the security that we have. We're secure in knowing that God is working in me. God is making me holy. And as he makes me holy, guess what? I live holy. That's confidence. That's security. He's not going to leave us out to the wolves. Man, God is good. He doesn't just do it. He does it. <laughs> We thank the Lord for that. And the last question, are we more influenced and motivated by our standing before God in his eyes and in his presence? Or are we dominated by our peers and their evaluation of us? That's a great question to ask. Holy and blameless in him. Are we more concerned about what our... And I know for teenagers it's hard. But... It's hard for adults too. Adults are influenced by social media also. Just as much as teenagers are. Teenagers probably 
more to the point because you know they probably spend more time on their phones well uh, adults are you know at work i guess they're not supposed to be spending much time on their phones but uh every uh, you know all of us could be impacted by our peers and the evaluation of us what concerns you more and what should concern you more what concerns you more is probably what your peers think about oh you're not part of the cool kids club who cares you know I, I, when I was a school teacher I used to tell my seniors this all the time 90% of these classmates you are not going to care anything about you you can graduate from high school how many of us in here still got friends from high school that, are, that have graduated for a measure of time you can probably count them on one hand I said, so why are you so concerned about what they think about you? Young people, they're not going to care about you. And guess what? You ain't going to care about them. Because you move on in life, you're going to get new friends. You're going to go out to college, find friends there. If you get a job, you're going to find friends on your job. And they're going to actually be just work friends, your friends while you're at work. <laughs> but they're not going to care about you. And you're not going to care about them. Who cares about you most? Your creator. Who loves you more than your friends, your peers, your creator, the God who made you in his image? He is the one whom we should be more concerned about and motivated by. We should be more motivated about what God sees us as, how God sees us, how we're pleasing God, not about our fake friends. They're phony. I saw the old meme a few years ago, a Facebook meme, about 10 years ago. It was, it was about a, uh, it was a man, it was a people at this man's funeral, and there was like two or three people in the audience, and then someone commented, he had, he had 4,000 friends on Facebook. <laughs> Y'all get it? Only a couple people showed up at his funeral, but he had all these friends on. You got all these followers on social media, but you know what? When it really goes down, they're not going to be there. And I ain't capping. Yeah, I know it sounds funny. A 51-year-old saying capping. Young people know what I mean by that. But my point is this. Are you more influenced by your standing before God? That's what matters most. When you're living a holy life, that's what matters most. It doesn't matter about your peers. It doesn't their evaluation of you because it's transient it changes like the wind why because the bible tells us all flesh is as grass we're transient our, our feelings change at the drop of a hat just let someone say say something to you that hurt your feelings and they didn't mean to and watch how fast your mood changes all of us are like that but yet we want to take those <laughs> Those same people, including ourselves, and care about their evaluation of us when their feelings change just like that. And we have the unchanging God, the all-knowing God, the all-seeing God who changes not, the eternal God, the God to whom on that great day all of us are going to have to stand and give an account before 
Our peers are not going to be there. Our followers on our TikTok or Instagram or whatever social media platform you have, they're not going to be standing there with you bearing witness to your life. You're going to have to do it yourself. Are you influenced and motivated by your standing before God as being holy and blameless? Or are you dominated by what your peers think about you? They're going to have to stand before God just like you. They are no greater than you people. I don't care what kind of so-called influence they have on social media. I don't care if they're part of the cool kids club. Who cares? What should matter the most is how do we think about our standing before a holy God who chose us as believers in him. And if you're not a believer, you come to him. You repent. You turn from your ways and fall on the mercy of God. And guess what? He will save you. He will save you. And you will be part of the best family ever. You will have an eternal inheritance laid up for you that no one on this earth can take away from you. No sickness can take away from you. Nothing in this world can take away from you. God chose us in him to be holy and blameless before him in love. Let us pray. Father, you chose us as believers. You chose us in you. Lord, as I was thinking, many of us are afraid to live holy lives. We are afraid to live set apart lives. We want to be liked by the world. We want to be praised by our worldly, ungodly friends. We, we, we don't want them to bully us or make fun of us because we love the Lord. And our language is different. But Lord, the beauty is that you chose us in you before the foundation of the world. Lord, you sovereignly chose us. And we thank you for that reality, Father. Help us as believers to be more motivated and influenced by our standing before you in your eyes and in your presence and not be dominated by our peers and their evaluation of us. Help us, Father, to live that holy and blameless life before a watching world who needs to see what a holy life looks like and the benefits thereof. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.